Hi friends, and welcome to Robcast number three. This one is called Saving Receipts. I have in my hand a receipt from the grocery store that we go to each week. It is about a foot to two feet long, and it is an itemized list of all of the things that we bought last week at the grocery store. So we're going to talk about receipts. We're going to talk about saving receipts. And I want to reflect on you and your trip to the grocery store, because you go to the grocery store, right? But before we do that, a couple things real quickly. I'm on Instagram. I do like that Instagram. And uh, Real Rob Bell is how you can find me on Instagram. And then secondly, a number of you have asked about events coming up. We've got a lot of things cooking. Uh, but the first thing that just came out is we are doing another business two-day event. And you can get all that info at robbell.com. And yes, in answer to your question, it will involve surfing. So now, let's talk about receipts. We go to the grocery store each week. I do love my Trader Joe's. And we buy things for our family. There are five of us and a dog. And uh, when we check out, they give us this long list of, of a receipt and it's everything that we bought. You know about this because you get them too, right? And uh, we use these bags that we reuse each week to take the groceries home and then they all the bags get stuffed into one bag and that one bag rides around in the back of my wife Kristen's car. And we were just getting groceries a couple weeks ago and I noticed that all those receipts have sort of ended up in the bottom of all those bags so I started pulling them out and it's um, receipt after receipt after receipt, which is essentially a record of week after week after week what we bought. And that food that we buy keeps our family alive, correct? I mean, that's the thing about food is you need it to survive. What an extraordinary thing. Because there's nothing more mundane and routine than grocery shopping, correct? And yet, without food, you don't keep living. The most basic observation imaginable. And yet, I worked hard. Like, I worked hard at what I do, and then got paid, and then we took that money and we bought groceries so that the people that I love the most could keep living and surviving and thriving. So it's a receipt, but it's a receipt that speaks to the ability to generate money that you can then use to make a life. What a gift to be able to provide for my family. Now let's be honest. Work can be a grind. Are you with me? It can be difficult. It can be frustrating. We use words like I'm back on the treadmill, pure undiluted slog. People work in a company and they talk about how I feel like I'm just a number. Work can be oppressive. Can we all agree? And yet, there is a park near my house where these day laborers gather in the mornings. They don't have work and they're trying to get work. And so sometimes you'll see somebody pull up and they'll come over to the window and they'll exchange and then sometimes they'll get in the car or the person will drive off 
And in the morning, there's a whole group of them hoping to get picked up for some work that day. By later in the morning, clearly some of them have been picked up. The numbers start to dwindle. By noon, there's only a few of them. I've driven by like 1, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a couple of hours before sunset, and there are still people out there hoping for work. And can you imagine if you were having one of those days, one of those, man, I don't want to go to work, and you stopped in there and you said to them, oh man, work is such a drag. I imagine they would say to you, you have a job? Wow. Wait, 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 you have a regular job that you can go to each day and there will be work for you there? And you're going to get compensated for it? I imagine a number of them would say to you, wow, how fortunate are you? Or if you have a friend who's been injured and they can't work, or they've got some sort of long-term disability, or when there's a downturn in the economy and people get laid off due to forces way beyond their control, or, and this is the one that's just excruciating to watch because it often happens in, it often happens in slow motion, is when there's a shift in a particular industry. And so somebody has been trained to do a particular thing. They're an expert in it. But then things shift, maybe because of technology or globalization or something, and all of a sudden that particular trade or skill or craft is no longer needed or people aren't paying what they used to for it. And so this person who used to have a solid job that brought with it a sense of honor and respect, all of a sudden that entire industry is shifting and morphing and they aren't appreciated like they used to and they aren't paid or even employed like they used to. So no matter how difficult your job is, no matter how oppressive or monotonous or routine or frustrating it is, a job is also an extraordinary gift. So yeah, it's just a grocery store receipt, but it's more than a receipt. It's a sign and symbol. It's a, it's a piece of paper that speaks to the gift that work is. There's this great line in Torah, which uh, first five books, the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible, where Moses is speaking to the people. And he says, when you've eaten your fill and you've built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, do not exalt yourself and forget the God who brought you out of slavery. And then later he says, do not say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have gotten me this money. But remember that it's God who gives you even the ability to generate money and wealth. It's so great. It essentially says, because there's this very popular argument, correct? You'll often hear people say, yeah, but I picked myself up by my bootstraps, but I hustled, but I got an education, but I worked nights, but I did all the difficult internships, I worked, and that's true, and that's to be commended, and that's fantastic. But even the ability to work is a gift. You'll sometimes see this sort of hovering around the edge of political discussions where one group will just say, well, people just need to work and get a job. Yeah, that's great. How do you get to that job? Do you take the bus? Because the bus requires a bus pass. And if you don't have the job yet, you don't have money for the bus pass. Do you drive 
to that job because that requires a car, that requires gas, that requires maintenance, that requires insurance, that requires a driver's license. A driver's license requires somebody to drive you to the DMV to take the driving test, and a driver's license requires you to have a birth certificate and a number of other things that you have to fill out and provide. That's all rather complicated. So yes, it is about a job. It is about each of us pulling our weight. It is about creating. It is about the importance of individual responsibility. But it's also a gift even to have the ability to work, let alone the options and the opportunity. It's all a gift. So yeah, it's just a receipt. It's just a list of things we bought at the grocery store. But it's also, for me, this deep, heartfelt sign and symbol of the gift that work is. Now, on this list, uh, pretty much everything on this list was grown from the earth. So there's some potatoes on there, there's some bread, there's some olive oil, there's some organic blueberries, there's some rice cakes, there's some tomatoes, and tomatoes, of course, as you all know, are what you use to make salsa, the greatest food. All food groups, by the way, are in salsa. Uh, jalapenos, onions, cilantro, and salsa. I have a deep abiding love for salsa, but that is, of course, a different topic and probably just another Robcast right there, just one where we'll just talk about the power of salsa to transform you. But each of these things on this list were at once existed in seed form. So how does a seed work? A seed is planted, and how do you plant? Well, to plant, you dig a hole in the earth. You place a seed in this hole in the earth, and then you bury it. Later, this plant rises up out of the earth. It produces a tomato, a nut, an olive, whatever it is, you sever it from its life source, you put it in your body, and it keeps you alive. So that seed contains within it the potentiality to keep you alive. It contains latent life force, present but unrealized possibilities. So a seed is just a seed, and seeds, except for a few kinds, don't taste that good. And they don't really have any sort of the nutrition or the, the ability to keep you uh, sustained and thriving and healthy. But you place a seed in the earth and you bury it and it somehow becomes something else. And as it arises from the earth in a new form, it is from that particular new form that is able to provide you with what you need to live. And so a seed only becomes the thing it could become. Its potentials are only realized when it's buried. So there's the moment when the seed disappears. You can no longer see it. It is in the dark. It is under the earth. It appears lost to your sight. It is the moment at which the seed appears most gone that is actually when it is undergoing the most radical necessary transformation for it to be something that could give you life. Are we preaching yet or what? Is it a seed? An extra? How do you even explain a seed? Because sometimes people will say, look, well, do you believe in miracles? As if the earth 
is this very straightforward, linear, logical reality. And there are rules, of course, that govern lots of things. But nevertheless, as if the Earth is this totally explainable, flat sort of, yeah, of course, uh-huh, and then a miracle would be something that happens that is inexplicable. Because you can't explain seeds, because you can't explain how the Earth produces food the way it does. And even if you listen to the most articulate, compelling biologist explain to you how the transformation takes place, with a seed, with photosynthesis, with water, with soil, mineral, nutrients. Even if you hear that all explained really well, it's still still fantastically strange and wondrous and exotic. Would you agree? So when people say, do you believe in miracles? We're in a miracle. The whole thing is a miracle. The whole thing is bizarre. You couldn't make this up if you tried. You are kept alive by food, and food starts as a seed, and a seed only becomes something else that can keep you alive if it's buried, and then it arises after that death and burial to new life because of the transformation that has gone on in the very essence of its being. I know. It's just a seed, but it's way more than just a seed. You can see why in early Jewish tradition they have this phrase, every table is an altar. They have this tradition because for many people it's like, well, if you want to, you know, if the, 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 the worship, the God stuff, the divine stuff, you need to go to a place where they do that, a house of worship, a temple, a synagogue, a mosque, a church, whatever it is. You need to go somewhere where, you know, they can really help you think about the, the big God sort of ideas. But in, in the Jewish tradition, no, 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 every table is an altar. I mean, just, just the idea that the earth somehow provides food for your sustenance and thriving. And so in the home is the center of the action. And the table where you and your loved ones and friends and family, you gather around a table, around a meal, where food is placed in the center of the table that came from the earth. That is a direct connection you have to the miraculous life-giving power of the earth. And so, of course, you're filled with a sense of gratitude. There are these fantastic prayers about blessed are you, God, Lord, and maker of heaven and earth. There are prayers for the bread, prayers for the wine, prayers for the gathering of loved ones around the table. Why? Because the table is where the action is. That is an everyday, regular moment when you pause to be reminded that life is a miraculous gift and the very elements and essence that provides you with life are right there in the middle of the table. A seed is a seed, but it's also a miraculous sign and symbol of the ability of the earth to provide for us, which I think is fascinating when you do uh, even just a little bit of reading about the problem of hunger in the world, which is a very real problem, and hundreds of millions of people go to bed each night hungry. But what's fascinating is the problem is not the provision of the earth. The general agreement, at least from what I understand, is that the earth can provide enough food for all of us. It isn't production, it is distribution. It is corrupt and oppressive governments. It is bureaucracies. It is inefficient distribution systems. We have on earth enough food. It's getting food to everybody who needs it. The problem isn't the earth. The problem is the human 
heart. And so it's just a table. It's just a table where you gather with the people you're closest to to eat a meal. But it's also a moment when you are most directly connected with the life-giving provision that the earth gives us when it gives us food. My family and I, uh, we have dinner and my five-year-old daughter is learning to spell. So we do this word game where someone says a word and the next person has to say a word that starts with the last letter of the word before them. And you've seen this game before and we always end up laughing very hard. And we've banned the letter E, by the way, because too many words end with E. And so we got tired of doing electric, everybody, even, eel. So we ban the letters that end with an E just to, you know, raise the game. And we talk about the day and we laugh and we listen to music and the dog is usually laying under the table and inevitably the dog does something weird, which is even funnier. So it's just a table and it's just a meal and it's just a meal made out of the food that we got from the receipt that is just a receipt. And yet it's life and it's love and it's tribe and it's miracle and it's provision and it's work and it's the sacred responsibility to care for the people I love the most. And so yeah, yeah, it's just a receipt. It's also way more than just a receipt. Now, we just spent 17 minutes and 31 seconds reflecting on a grocery store receipt. And when we did this, we were doing something very serious and actually something very important. We were reflecting upon the depths of our life. And the reason why I do this is because for many people, well, there are several different ways of understanding spirituality. But for many people, the way they were given to understand spirituality is essentially a worldview that says somebody somewhere, a divine being, is going to be upset with you if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And so for many people, their fundamental orientation towards the world, whenever you talk about religion or spirituality, is where are the rules? Where's the list? What do you have to do to get in with this God? And even the Christian tradition for many people was, oh, okay, so apparently God provided Jesus so you don't have to do anything, but now here's what you got to do, honestly. So for many people, at the, if we're totally honest and you peel back all the layers, what you discover at the base of it is do more. Do more. Because somebody somewhere is going to be deeply upset with you. Sometimes, you know, your eternal destiny is waved in front of you. Sometimes it's just the favor of the, the divine. Sometimes it's however that works. At the core of the whole thing is somebody somewhere, some divine being, force, God, whoever, is going to be angry if you don't do X. Go to church, read your Bible, do a good deed, avoid. Sometimes it's simply don't do this, 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 no matter how good it feels, no matter how much pleasure it brings. Just don't do that. And then this, this God will be happy with you if you just don't do a bunch of things. But at the core, to make it as clear as possible, and as a pastor for like 20 years talking with people, 25 years, what you can pick out again and again and again and again when people come to a pastor with questions is just tell me what I got to do so that the great being in the sky won't be angry with me. But when you and I take a grocery list, when we take a receipt from the grocery store and we begin to reflect on it, we reflect on gift 
food, miracle, love, the table, relationships, laughter, the ability to make and create a life. When we, what we are doing is we are connecting with the depths of our lives. And here's why this is important. Because for many people, life is moving so fast, they are merely skimming across the surface, missing the divine presence in all of life. For many people, it's go here, go there, get in the car, come home, return this. Everything is simply, it's a meal, but it's just a meal. It's a job, but it's just a job. It's a conversation, but it's just a conversation. Everything exists cut off from its depths, cut off from the endless essence that is present in every moment, every interaction, every conversation, every task, every breath, every responsibility. This is actually why we put the Robcast out um, so that you can have it on Monday mornings, is I want to bring you a fresh word as you head back into the slog, the grind, the routine of your everyday life. Because the art, the task, the challenge, the invitation of the spiritual life is for you to see the depths of your own life, to see the divine presence in everything you do. So, so this then is where the action is. Learning to see that which is already present You've just been moving too fast to see it, but now you're seeing it. Before it was just a receipt, but now you're beginning to see it's a receipt, but it's so much more. The art, the task, the challenge, the invitation then is to begin to see the divine in the daily, the sacred in the slog, the holy in the human, the Christ in the common. Most of us are cut off most moments of most days from the Christ in the common, from the meaning in the mundane, from the divine in the daily. In the Christian tradition, there's this absolutely incredible ritual called Eucharist, also called Mass, Communion, Lord's Supper. And many, many people simply aren't aware of just what's at the heart of this ritual. But you take a table and then you put bread and wine on it. The bread and wine are holy and sacred. Why? Because in this ritual, the bread and wine are holy, they're sacred, because all bread and wine are holy and sacred. And this bread and wine is holy and sacred because all bread and wine is holy and sacred because all of life is holy and sacred. And so the Eucharist, this ritual, is about reconnecting you with the holy, sacred depths of all of life. See, for many people, spirituality, it isn't just, who do I have to keep happy? But it is, you go out of your everyday routine and out of your everyday life into a spiritual gathering so that you can meet God there. But at the heart of the Christian story is this Eucharist where you are given eyes to see the God who is present in all of life. It's not escaping from your everyday routine to find the God who's somewhere else in a temple, in a gathering, in a worship service, in a whatever. It's you being reminded of the God who is present 
in all of life, the Christ in all of the common. So the beautiful thing that happens with maturity, with growth, with your spiritual evolution, with you becoming more and more enlightened, and there's this great line in the letter in the New Testament to the Ephesians where uh, Paul, one of the first Christians, says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Essentially, he says, may something open up so that you can see. He doesn't say may the eyes of your brain, may the eyes of your heart. May you begin to see the common the everyday, the mundane, the treadmill, the slog, may you grow in your awareness that there's always more going on. There is endless depth and dimension to all of life. So, so the really beautiful, beautiful thing that happens is when you come to see that it's a meal, but it's more than a meal. It's a conversation, but it's more than a conversation. This is just another load of laundry, just another carpool, just another form I got to fill out, just another meeting I have to go to. But it's way more than just another load of laundry. It's a chance, another opportunity to care for the people that I love. It's another meeting, but it's another chance to be grateful that I even have a meeting to go to. Now, some people say, well, you're that's just sort of ridiculous, sort of fluffy, squishy. No, no, no. This is actually at the heart of the spiritual tradition, each of us growing in our understanding that the whole world is a temple. The whole thing is God's house. It's all electric. It's all holy. It's all sacred. And the more you see this, the more you are actually transformed. The more your whole life is electrified. That is my prayer for you, that you would grow in your awareness that you are living in God's house. The whole thing is a temple. It's never just a meal. It's never just a table. It's never just a job. And it's never just a receipt. So may you, my brothers and sisters, may you see the divine in the daily. May you find the sacred in the slog, the holy in the human, and may you see the Christ in the common. May you not live cut off from the depths of your own existence, but may you see wonder and beauty and transcendence in the most trivial, mundane details of your everyday life. And may grace and peace be with you.